there's this great quote from Andy Warhol that I love, which is art is whatever you can get away with. And I feel like for so long, the cost of solar has been whatever you could get away with. And that's a paradigm that we really need to change within the industry. And I think this is the type of moment that forces the industry to grow up in a way that I don't think it has in the past. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. I just want to say thank you for joining us once again and giving us your attention and offering the one non-renewable resource you've got. That, of course, is your time. This is Tactical Tuesday, practical, tactical tools and tips to give you guidance and direction along your journey in this clean energy revolution. Lately, this journey, not unlike the broader solar coaster, has been a little bumpy, especially if you are in the residential solar sector. Not lost on me that with increased interest rates and inflation, there are concerns in the market about whether or not the average solar company can survive and thrive. Homeowners just aren't providing the level of demand that the industry has been accustomed to in the last five plus years. And frankly, sometimes we have to change tactics and models to continue to achieve just normal levels of success, let alone growth. So in an effort to bring you a little bit more insight to what I think might help if you're an installer or even a sales rep in the current economic environment, I wanted to reach out not to installers, but rather to folks that enable and help installers get a perspective from two companies that I believe possess some leading indicators and depth of experience that might be beneficial to you. Today's episode gives insight from two experts. Brian Gilia is the REC Group Senior Director of Business Development, REC Americas, but has been in the solar industry for a decade plus, has been a sales leader in companies like REC and Sunrun, and now at REC Group, leading the sales executives who sell panels to so many solar installers. Spencer Fields is the Director of Insights for Energy Sage, a platform that has generated millions of quotes for homeowners and connects and empowers thousands of installers just like you to be able to reach homeowners with a better quote and better insight. These two professionals bring two distinct aspects that are, in fact, in many ways, leading indicators for what we can see coming down the pipe, what might early next year look like for the residential sector and what tools or tips might we be able to glean from folks who are able to see a little bit ahead of the curve. If this is the kind of information that you really believe adds value to your business and your career journey, well, you are in the right place, especially if this is the first time that you've ever listened to Suncast. I would encourage you to hit the subscribe button because we've got more than 650 such episodes in our back catalog over at mysuncast.com. And every week we deliver twice a week content just like this, tactical practical advice on Tuesdays, long form executive profiles on Thursdays, and 
Sometimes we drop a Friday episode of industry trends or insights that we see happening around the the internet with regards to clean energy. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into this tactical, practical advice in another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. Spencer Fields is the Director of Insights at Platform many of you are familiar with, Energy Sage, arguably the leading platform for the customer journey. Aggregating data over many years now and many hundreds of thousands of solar quotes. Spencer, it's great to have a chance to chat with you. Thanks so much for having me, Nico. For those who are unfamiliar, I would uh, wager there may be one or two uh, with Energy Sage. Could you give us a brief overview of Energy Sage and then as their director of insights, what it is that you're responsible for? Absolutely. So Energy Sage is the country's largest online marketplace for clean energy comparison shopping. So what that means is that we provide educational resources and tools to people who are interested in learning about their clean energy options. And then when they're ready to move from being researchers to shoppers, we provide an online platform for them to do just that. We got our start in residential rooftop solar uh, a little over 10 years ago now, which is wild to think about. Um, We moved from residential rooftop solar to solar plus storage, community solar. We have a non-residential side of the business as well as a sort of nascent heat pumps marketplace that's operational in a few states throughout the country, which is really exciting. So I've been at Energy Sage since 2018, so a little over five years now, worn a bunch of different hats as we've moved from a 30-person company to a 130, 150-person company. These days, I'm the director of insights, which mostly means that I'm focused on market intelligence, consumer and contractor research, analyzing the trends of what's actually happening within our marketplace. So consumer behavior, installer behavior, what equipment are we seeing quoted at what prices, Mm. what's happening with financing terms, things like that, as well as trying to put a finger on the pulse of the market outlook. So uh, hopefully there's something interesting in all of that for uh, your listeners today. I'm absolutely certain there will be. Uh, You know, I mentioned uh, briefly a moment ago likely hundreds of thousands. It's not something you and I've talked about. Is, the, is there public data or data that you'd be willing to share on just how many data points it is that you're able to track? How many quotes have been done through the Energy Sage platform as an example? So at Energy Sage, we've actually had over a million properties register for the account over our decade of existence. And if you imagine that uh, each property is getting up to seven quotes from contractors in their area, that means that we're, we've seen, you know, several million quotes come through the platform over the, right. uh, the lifetime of our, our company. Yeah. And I'm going to assume, given that in the time you've been there, 5X growth of team members, there's also a similar growth curve or parabolic growth curve in overall volume, um, which would suggest that in the last six to 12 months, you guys have more and better data than you did uh, a year or two ago. What kinds of trends there as the in- director of insights does this uh, does this massive volume of quotes that are processed on a daily basis through your platform allow and provide? And how how would you categorize or uh, or shape that con- the contours of that conversation in terms of what it means for installers? Totally. When we talk about what's included in the Energy Sage data directory or or the data that we're capturing within the Energy Sage marketplace. 
really the way that we talk about it as as a leading indicator of where the the market is headed. So unlike other data sources in the solar industry that are primarily focused on actually tracking installations after they happened or looking at permits after they've been pulled, what we're looking at is sort of earlier in the funnel and higher up in the funnel, the demand in terms of how many people are actually searching for these terms on Google, how many of them are actually coming to our website, how many of them are registering for an account to request quotes for solar or solar plus storage, and then how many are moving forward and selecting a contractor and signing a contract. So you can really think about the Energy Sage marketplace as being a leading indicator because we're seeing trends that are happening three to six months before they emerge in install reports or in permit reports. And so you can really look at what's happening on the Energy Sage marketplace as being a leading indicator of where where the rest of the market may be headed, you know, three, six months from now. Well, Spencer, if we look at the current state of the union, as it were, it's it seems pretty clear based on some of the anecdotal evidence that I'm able to track, um, not reading Woodmac reports, but reading the furrowed brows of executives that I'm on calls with um, and, you know, uh, publicly traded companies, not to name one directly, but we had a few uh, with earnings calls very recently that have had an impact on the equities market, certainly for our sector. It seems clear there's an overall decline in homeowner demand. Can you give us a sense what you would, what your data suggests may be the underlying reasons for that slowed demand? Sure thing. So, and I think that's that's the question that everybody wants to know the answer to. It's It's what's yeah. causing this, number one. And then number two, when's it going to stop? When's it going to turn around? And so in terms of what's causing it, obviously macroeconomic factors are playing a very big role here. Certainly inflationary pressures on all sorts of consumer goods is meaning that homeowners have less discretionary income to apply to these major home improvement, big ticket item Mm -hmm. purchases. If you even look outside of the solar industry and go to what Home Depot says in their earnings call, In their Q2 earnings call, they saw a year-over-year drop in sales. It was only 2%, so they're doing better than the solar industry is. But on the call and and in their earnings report, they said, while there was strength in categories associated with smaller projects, we did see continued pressure in certain big-ticket discretionary categories. What is solar if not a big-ticket discretionary category? So that, I think, is the biggest, broadest overarching industry-wide sort of issue at play. When you go beyond that, certainly interest rates and changing interest rates has made a huge impact on the economics of solar. If you just draw out the math for a typical seven kilowatt system, right? Depending upon where in the country you are, if you're in New England, you're going to get 9,000 kilowatt hours a year out of that system. If you're in Arizona, you're going to get 12,000 kilowatt hours a year. So you're getting between 750 kilowatt hours a month and 1,000 kilowatt hours a month. Depending upon what you pay for electricity, that's anywhere from $100 a month electricity bill to a $200 or $300 a month electricity bill, right, for 1,000 kilowatt hours a month uh, at 30 cents a kilowatt hour in California. The average price for a 7 kilowatt system on EnergySage is about $20,000. And so if you're looking at a 25-year loan 
at a you know 2.99% interest rate which is what it was on energy sage a year ago the difference between that and a 5.9% interest rate which is what we hit in quarter th- you know the third quarter of 2023 here just just a couple months ago that's going to be $30 more per month in terms of what solar costs in if you finance it as opposed to pay for it in cash so now when you look at those monthly bills and you say okay how much of a difference is $30 a month well if your electricity rate is under 20 cents a kilowatt hour that's the difference between solar saving you money in in month 1 and not saving you money in hmm. month 1 i know that was a lot of a lot of sort of math and examples we can we can try to simplify it and do a shorter version of that but basically basically interest rates increasing means that you can no longer save in month one with solar if you're financing it in a way that you used to even 12 months ago. And so I think people are looking at are looking at all of their purchases, all of their discretionary purchases, and are recognizing, you know, now isn't necessarily a great time to take money out. Now is not a great time to buy a home. Now is not a great time to buy a car. Now is not a great time to buy any major big ticket item that you're planning on financing. And that's what we're based on interest rates alone. And that's what, that's what we're seeing. I'd love to know, given the direct connection you have with consumers, i.e. homeowners, if you have any feedback specifically from homeowners regarding uh, the different metrics that we as an industry think are affecting uh, the the market demand, i.e. interest rates, price, choice of product, uh, or even lack of understanding of product. How how do you, how would you qualify or quantify those different categories with regards to how consumers give insights to, to you through this Energy Sage platform? Yeah, that's a great question. When we survey consumers about their interest in and awareness of clean energy products, whether it's solar, heat pumps, or electric vehicles, you name it. We're always curious to find out what's driving interest, what's driving adoption, and what the barriers are to adoption. The most interesting thing about that from my perspective is that what drives interest and what drives adoption is people are interested in saving money. So it's the economics. Mm -hmm. The biggest barrier to adoption across solar, storage, heat pumps, electric vehicles, any of those home electrification product categories yeah. is that people say it costs too much money. So there's this there's this sort of I don't know if it's a disconnect or a miss on messaging or what it is, but people are saying I want these products because they're going to save me money, but I can't afford these products. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's definitely one of the biggest pieces that we hear when we're talking to consumers about what's driving their interest, what's driving their adoption, and what one of the biggest barriers to adoption is. I think one other data point that's, that's interesting to point out is we, in September, we ran a quick consumer survey just to get a handle on state of consumer mindset, and in particular, what the impact of macroeconomic trends are on interest in solar in their own words. And so what we found is that inflation makes active solar shoppers more interested in solar by about the same amount as high interest rates decrease interest. So in other words, people are saying, you know, 33%, a third of people are saying that high interest rates are making them less 
are making them less interested in solar. And then a third of people are saying that inflation is making them more interested in solar because their electricity rates are going up. So, you know, no matter where you are in the country, that's the case. So in, in theory, then the the inflation we're seeing should be offsetting the demand reduction in the marketplace by high interest rates. So we should be seeing a stagnant growth rather than a decline in demand. That's that's what our surveying of our active in-market consumers mm. would indicate. And that's looking at folks who've come to Energy Sage and registered for an account and given us their email address. So maybe that's different than what's happening for contractors who are looking for looking at other channels for customer acquisition, whether it's door knocking or typical social media ads or whatever. We're hearing from our contractors that they're hungry for leads. So yeah. maybe it's it's the type of consumer who's coming to Energy Sage versus that you would find through other avenues. One thing that I will mm-hmm. point out is when we look at our our year-over-year trends in terms of registration volume, so the number of people who are signing up to receive quotes through Energy Sage, it looks like demand bottomed out in June. So in other words, we've been pretty flat. We haven't really gotten any worse July through September. Uh, and our run rate in October is is sort of a continuation of that trend. So we're still down year over year, but we're we're sort of we're not getting any worse, uh, which is which is I think a good place to be. And so that that sort of then confirms what I think some other industry sources are saying that maybe Q1, Q2 of next year is going to be the bottom of the the you know the bottom of the trough from a install perspective. Um, right. If we're seeing top of funnel demand bottoming out six months ahead of that. Spencer, one of the things that uh, for years I've said to Vikram that you guys get right and and set the banner, the gold standard for the industry in is education. Uh, in particular, the kind of education that is represented in um, you know modern uh, information marketing terms, which is blog posts and educational content that speaks to the end consumer, the target customer for all of us uh, eventually. Could you talk about the in in the current environment? the value of consumer education and specifically where you are seeing consumers gravitate in terms of the messaging. What is it that they're looking for? What are the search, what are, what are, what are the searches yielding in terms of where the customer sentiment from homeowners that they still have questions around? From my perspective, the most valuable pieces of information that you can provide to a homeowner around solar is confidence that this thing that they're going to invest in is going to last. For most people in the US, most of the, you know, still fewer than 5 million people who put solar panels on their roof, purchasing solar is a first-time investment. If you are buying a car, no matter if it's the first car that you bought or, I don't know, the sixth car that you bought, you have a sense of the relative merits of different brands of cars, you have a sense of the relative quality, you have a sense of the relative longevity. You know, I drive a Subaru and it's 10 years old and it's still running like Mm -hmm. a charm. That's something that you expect when you buy a Subaru. What's the equivalent in solar? I don't think most people who are purchasing solar have any idea. And so finding ways to communicate to homeowners that these products are going to last, that they've been certified that they've run through accelerated life cycle testing that they mm. we have 10 20 30 
maybe even 40 years of performance data from solar panels that are in the field that actually prove out what's included in claims from manufacturers or from installers is incredibly valuable. And then beyond that, I think providing assurance to those homeowners that even if the company that installed their solar panel system goes out of business or leaves that particular geographic location, they still have a way to take care of this system over 20, 30 years of the lifetime of the system. There aren't that many instances in life where people are going into a decades-long agreement and buying your house is one, purchasing solar is potentially another one. And so I think it's just this this product that people still don't know that much about and still don't have that much confidence in. And that's where I see the biggest need for education in the space. In terms of what it is that people are interested in and what they're searching for, it is a lot about the cost of electricity near me, the cost of solar near me, the the relative merits of these different brands. Um, And then beyond that, we're starting to see that these solar adjacent products are beginning to receive much more search volume than they did one, two, three years ago. I mean, if you look at sort of heat pump keywords, they're up, I don't know, searches for them are up nearly 3x from the start of 2020. So whether due to the IRA, whether due to the cost of heating your home with fossil fuels, whatever the case may be, we're starting to see that people are aware of these solar adjacent products. And so I think that now there's going to be a huge opportunity for the industry to educate not only ourselves, but homeowners as well about how to navigate these pathways to electrifying your home. What decisions do you make? When? Which products do you purchase? When? Is there a roadmap? Is it going to make sense for everybody to go EV, EV charger, heat pump, maybe induction stove, and then solar? Or are people going to start with energy efficiency audits and retrofits and then solar and then go into those other things? I think there's there's an opportunity for the industry to start to take a stance on that and educate people around that. Now, while Spencer may have the perspective from a macro level of hundreds of thousands, millions of homeowners asking for solar quotes, yet another indicator is the number of installers supported by a major module manufacturer like REC Americas. Many of you are buyers and users and installers of the Alpha Series, one of the most popular solar panels in the residential sector. So I want to bring Brian Gilia in to discuss how, from the manufacturer's perspective, the residential sector is shaping up, especially in the last six months and what we could expect into 2024 and what tools he might have from his deep 10 plus years experience on the front line selling at Sunrun and REC that might guide you and your sales team in the coming months as we weather this economic downturn and try to re-energize customer demand. Here's Brian Gilia from REC Americas. Brian, as I mentioned in the intro, you, like I, have been in the industry for now the better part of two decades. You've gone from sitting at the dining room table to helping 
customers of a brand category leader, notably REC, do uh, the same for your customers and their sales teams. I'd love to get us just to check the pulse here on the general sentiment you're hearing from the marketplace. The sky seems to be falling for some, and yet uh, as a whole, um, we still believe that the there is a rising tide. Yeah, It's been fascinating to watch. It's never dull in the solar industry, as uh, <laughs> those of us that have done it for a long time know. Um, it definitely has echoes of, of periods past, right? Uh, we've seen these ups and downs. Um, and, you know, when you started, uh, you know, we kind of started around the same time. We ran headlong into a recession, right? And so mm-hmm. we saw some downward trends. And what, what I learned at that time, this is 09, 2010, is solar is is not recession immune, but it is recession proof, right? As long as you still have a a solid offering to the consumer. So bring that forward to today, um, you know, uh, at a high level, we're seeing, you know, the effects of inflation begin to show up in residential, um, residential solar. We're definitely seeing uh, sales slow down slightly. Um, And the brakes really started to hit, uh, probably about six months ago, six, nine months ago, mm-hmm. we can get into kind of the, the reasons why. Uh, but what's what's really encouraging is that while we began to slow, we feel like we've kind of bottomed, at least in the demand side of the equation. Um, and indeed, we're starting to see conversions pick up in, in some markets. So as we look out, you know, I think 23 is actually going to end up being a flat or a down year in resi solar, as a lot of analysts have predicted. And that causes a lot of people to be concerned. But if you zoom back and look at it on a three-year horizon, we're still going to have growth rates that are 7 8%. And um, we're already starting to see some of the consumer demand signals pick up as we all begin to adjust to, to kind of what is the new normal in terms of interest rates and in terms of the consumer value problem. I love that you say the new normal because a lot of folks listening uh, are relatively new. You, you and I, in some cases, are considered OGs uh, or veterans. Uh, many of our peers and mentors are indeed veterans working uh, back as late as far as the 70s and 80s yeah. of the last uh, century on introducing this technology to homeowners. But what you um, accurately assess for, in my, from, from my perspective uh, around the um, sort of re-entry into recessionary, uh, deflationary uh, economic cycles suggests that um, maybe we have to go, we don't have to um, be so afraid as as it might seem folks are right now in the marketplace. We see a lot of, uh, of the younger sales reps in particular uh, jumping ship, uh, <laughs> seeing, seeing the industry sort of stagnate it's just not easy slim. It's not as easy pickings as it was before, but the, the, the folks that are building legacy companies that want to see this solar industry grow and they're contributing at a community level to jobs and uh, the, the overall energy transition, I think will benefit from some of the things that we learned over a decade ago in the 08 to uh, 11 timeframe. Uh, as a result, I'd like to kind of reflect around the time that you were, in fact, sitting around the kitchen table as a young REC solar consultant, sort of thinking about what worked then that might work 
now, taking into consideration as a tactical uh, conversation for our listeners, some folks don't have that that muscle memory, that pattern matching, that historical context. So I'd love it if you could take us back 10 years to what kinds of conversations resonated with homeowners in that period where they really were counting every penny and there weren't financial products like we have enjoyed for the last five years to compel them to move forward. Um, and we, and we had to focus on sort of the blocking and tackling. Yeah. Let's go back down memory lane, man. Um, for the benefit of the audience, uh, you know, I, I had been in the industry for about 15 years and I spent the first, uh, close to decade in residential sales. Um, so I met with thousands of customers and I ran sales teams, uh, for a company, uh, that was acquired by Sunrun. And then I worked with Sunrun for the better part of a decade on sales enablement and the consumer experience. At the end of the day, what has always worked and worked back then was getting back to base principles and running a consistent, effective sales process that has discrete steps. And we had a seven-step process. You can have a five-step process. You can have a nine-step process. But as long as you have a repeatable process that you follow that encourages a series of small yeses, uh, that leads to the big yes, um, and you're working for a company that's delivering more value than their status quo, you'll see success, right? And so where I think we got off track a little bit as costs came down and access to solar grew is, is there's a lot of new sales folks that join the industry and don't necessarily have the, that durable, repeatable process um, and or, you know, a, a durable, repeatable installation team behind them that's been around for a decade. I say all that because if you do the same process and you have a, a value added business, what you're going to begin to get is uh, more satisfied customers that refer you more often. Right. And so a lot of folks back in 09, 2010, 2011, you know, we didn't have organic search engines and there wasn't as much consumer awareness around solar um, and, and there was a real recession going on. Right. But the way that we persevered through that is word of mouth referral based selling um, and creating programs around that. Right. Um, we, you know, increase our referral rates right from 500 bucks to a thousand bucks in a recession. Now, all of a sudden, a consumer can get a thousand bucks for referring a friend. And when you look at your overall economics, that's actually the cheapest lead source you're going to have. So there's a lot of tweaks that you can make, but I would say at the very basic, it's about making sure you and your sales team are reviewing your sales process and and sticking to it. Uh, and then also making sure that you deliver the best customer experience that produces referrals for you. You know, to I think to Carrie and the team's great credit, and I know that you're involved in this because you've been there for um, the you know more than four or five years now. Uh, REC has been able to consolidate some of uh, what I'd be, I would deem to be some of the smartest folks in the resi uh, industry. Uh, Brian Lynch, to name um, Andrew Jones, a couple folks that have had just such a tremendous impact across the industry and across the last two decades that you and I have been working here. Um, I've heard you and Brian in uh, private conversations refer to something called adaptive selling. How much are you leaning in right now in this um, sort of in this deflationary cycle or demand reduction cycle for uh, 
for educating the installers who rely on REC in particular uh, to this adaptive selling approach. And can you unpack it a bit for us to help those that maybe haven't had exposure to uh, your team? Yeah, yeah. yeah this, is the, this is the core of what we do every day, right? And uh, we try and take a different approach than, than a lot of other manufacturers where it, we don't just sell a module, we want to help you sell solar, right? Um, so adaptive selling to us is really encompasses the, the question base and consultative approach to selling, right? Um, and so you have to be able to adjust to different consumer profiles. So you have to be able to adjust to different, uh, economic conditions. Uh, and the only way you can do that is through, uh, a robust discovery process. Right. And so we actually have training content that we enable through to our installers through dedicated, um, sessions where we'll spend 45 minutes on, how do you do an effective discovery process and ask the right questions to tee up uh, the rest of the consultation? At the end of the day, that takes about three to five minutes with a consumer. And you should probably spend, you know, 50% of your training on those three to five minutes, being able to guide them through that discovery process. It also demystifies solar and it makes it easier to get from a, uh, you know, I don't know what solar is. I think it's planets in a solar system to solar is a solution that makes sense for me and I, I have to move forward. And so I to get down to the, the root of what adaptive selling is, it's getting it, the customer to say yes to the concept of solar, then yes to a specific solution, and then yes to a specific solution with you, right? I love that. And I uh, also love that you provide um, a, a container, uh, and I think at a regular cadence, that allows your team to educate your uh, installer network. I think that, you know, if I think about back when you and I uh, first started in the industry, I feel like there was a lot more of that. And that's kind of what I meant about getting back to our roots. There was a lot more when you look back um, at the, the SunPower days, right? Before Maxion, there were not just SunPower, but many manufacturers set aside dedicated swaths of time to really train both in person and online to ensure not that folks understood the technology, but that they understood how to sell the technology, actually how to communicate to the homeowner. Brian, actually, before I ask this question, how many roughly sales, how many folks focus on sales for REC right now? We've got a total of 10. 10 people. And I presume as you are uh, managing this team, that there is a process through which you, you're gathering the general market sentiment. What are you hearing from the installer network and your sales team who themselves are veterans in the industry um, that homeowners are reflecting? Uh, their general, general concerns, objections, hesitations, that we as a community need to address? Yeah, we get a lot of anecdotal feedback from our dealer network, um, you know, and uh, the primary uh, anecdotal feedback we get mirrors what we see in analysts and uh, in surveys. And it, it's that, you know, it is too expensive to go solar. The upfront costs are too high, right? Um, and so, you know, it's really interesting in how you frame that, right, is, you know, we're trying to save you uh, money on your electricity bill, but it's prohibitively expensive. And that's where, you know, the mechanics of a loan begin to become incredibly important, right? Yeah. 
And so, yeah, that, that's been the primary cause of what we've seen some slowdowns. Um, it, but the teams that we've seen ha- having the most success have been able to overcome some of those objections, right? By pivoting away from saving money immediately to characterizing it into a longer term discussion over 20, 25 years and focusing on that value creation. Yeah, and I think that really is the core of the, the the mental pivot the sales teams need to embrace because for the last, what, four or five years in a low interest rate environment, it was easy to focus on that first month savings, the ability to immediately reduce the homeowner's pain, um, this felt pain, because all of sales is identify pain and resolve that pain with a solution. And the pain that homeowners um, feel as they've spent time with someone knocking on their door, suggesting that solar is a is a tiger bomb for that for that sore muscle of the utility rates, um, is that in a high interest environment we can't offer that anymore, or certainly not with like not within specific high growth markets. So I think as a result, the sales approach and part of why adaptive selling and the method that you guys are uh, are training your teams and, and your network on is so important is that the focus has too often been on the low hanging fruit, the easy, we can immediately solve your pain rather than the underlying reason behind why the economics work all along. Um, the secondary thing is how leads are generated in a high interest, um, reduced demand market change. Can you talk a bit about that that narrative and how you coach your teams through it? Yeah, it's a question that we ask every new customer. It's a question that we ask every quarter, quarterly business review is, A, how are sales pacing, but B, how are your referrals pacing? And, and how many referrals does your average sales rep generate at a consultation? And how many of your overall sales come from referrals, right? Mm-hmm. We typically shoot for, you know, you want to get two to three referrals per month out of your overall sales, right? And so if you're selling six, uh, six sales a month, 50% of those should be, uh, you know, from organic demand that, that you've generated through your referral business. Now, I think you're right. I think for the past, you know, five years, uh, low cost of capital, cheap, easy money made lead sources expand. It, it was good fundamentally for the business or for the industry that, that access to solar grew, but it, it caused us to, to lose some of those muscle memories around, uh, around how we run our, our sales process. And we got away from talking about, you know, what is the intrinsic thing that we're selling? Intrinsically, we're selling a kilowatt hour, right? And we can provide you a kilowatt hour that is more predictable over time that comes from a, a renewable source, right? That's a totally different conversation than I'm going to save you $20 this month, right? It is, I'm going to give you a hedge in the future and, and you know, just to riff a little bit, one of the analogies that we always encourage folks to make is like, hey, if somebody told you 15 years ago that you could get a gas station in a really compact way installed in your backyard and you would have all the gas you need for the next 25 years and it costs $2 a gallon, would you have signed up for that in 1995? Might have been a tough sell, right? But today you wish you would have had it. Right. And so it's like getting back to some of those basics and, and spreading that timeline out. The last point I'll make, because you, you asked it, is, you know, there are markets where 
you know, intrinsically that kilowatt hour rate is what drives the, the consumer choice. And what we've seen is you can still be very successful in markets that have kilowatt hour rates of 13, 14, 15 cents, right? As long as you talk about it the right way over the long term. And indeed, some of our biggest partners are growing in new markets, Tennessee, Kentucky, you know, um, a lot of these kind of, I call them the last frontier for solar uh, because there's less competition and they run a good sales process and then they go generate a durable organic book of business. You know, I think one of the things that we're also experiencing simultaneously with increased um, at a time where, you know, a year ago we were doing uh, podcast episodes on um, sort of the future of solar, talking about the consumer adoption curve and how we are getting into, you know, we're getting past the early adopters and, uh, and the innovators into the early majority. Those early majority adopters are looking for different aspects of this appliance and, you know, early adopters and innovators don't see solar as an appliance. They see it as a gadget, right? It's like being the first to get the iPhone 15, but the early majority want reliability. And, uh, you know, that speaks to what you just said of understanding the underlying aspect that this is a effectively guaranteed long-term hedge against your energy costs, not a short-term solution to your monthly like household budget crisis. And unfortunately that's how we've sold it um, for the last few years. So it's reorienting sales teams to being able to deliver on this asset that is going to last 40 plus years. How do you, Think about or characterize that around um, sort of the way. I love that you gave that example of the gas station. Do you have any other anecdotes or, or thoughts around different industries or adoption curves that you guys have in, in, instituted or implemented in your selling process that other folks might want to adopt and think about? Yeah, the, the gas station anecdote is always great. The other thing that we really try and encourage uh, that we found a lot of success with is you have to get your, your homeowner involved. And, and in order to get them involved, you have to start asking them to predict what's going to happen. Right. And so we say like, mm-hmm. Hey, first we have to teach you what a kilowatt hour is, right. That's a broad enough topic. That's difficult to understand. But, but then we have to talk about how that's changed over time and, and what it will look like 10 years from now. So today you may be paying, you know, 15 cents, 17, 20 cents for a kilowatt hour, but actually inviting them to write down what they think that kilowatt hour is going to be in 10 years, right? That tees up the conversation in a different way around, okay, well, here's the solution that we're going to offer today. And that is, you know, a, a, a loan product or a, or a lease that has a kilowatt hour rate that is much, much lower. Um, and having the proposals that can walk through that. The other thing that we often do, and I'll share my screen real quickly is, give give our sales teams more generally the context of like where we are in in the consumer adoption curve um this is one i like to share often because it it just reminds me of how much opportunity we, we still have so this is a graph that i've stolen and used that uh, in, in multiple presentations that just shows the adoption curves of different industries. Right. And, and what mm-hmm. I like to point out is like, look how long it took for folks to get access to electricity. It started in the teens and really reached a hundred percent in the sixties. So, you know, that was 50 year adoption curve, but what you see is, you know, in these two decades around, you know, the thirties and forties, the 
angle of the of the graph is very steep, so there's a lot of acceleration, right? If you were to put solar on this curve, right, it would probably start here in the 60s, and we're still at less than 2% adoption, maybe it's 3% adoption nationally. But we're beginning to see that trend line really go up, and I guess that's where I tend to point out, even though things are slowing down a little bit today, uh, when you have a longer view, there's ample opportunity, and being able to find the right sales pitch, be adaptive to the customer's needs and help them understand the value mm-hmm. is what helps us get to that steeper curve and higher adoption rates. Yeah. As I review this and I would encourage folks that if you aren't, um, if you're not watching and watching this on YouTube, you should go check out our YouTube channel where we would publish this full video, uh, in, as a video interview. But one of the things that stands out to me on that chart that you showed, Brian is clothes dryer. And I think it's potentially the closest to what we saw as an adoption curve. So it was like an early adoption curve thanks to the oil crisis in the 70s. And then it flatlined. And then we saw a huge spike again in the time period that we've been talking about from 2011 to now. That for me represents a more, potentially a more appropriate adoption curve for folks to think about. Like solar ultimately is an appliance, right? It is a high dollar discretionary income type of acquisition unless you have uh, the kind of financing mechanisms that allow us to apply um, to to afford these appliance or utilitarian products like a vehicle, right? Uh, probably vehicle, uh, the average price of a vehicle and the average um, homeowner's ability to uh, afford a vehicle tracks an interesting trend line for financing products. Um, what are you all seeing with regards to the uh, the in- increased interest rates in the market and anecdotally kind of what the what it means for the sale of the product being solar to the homeowner and how the installers are adapting to uh to that reality right yeah now. so it's the important question of 23 right um as interest rates uh began to uh present into different loan products this is in q1 and q2 uh, the fundamental economics changed to to the homeowner um, and, you know, we, we've done a lot of modeling, a lot of math on this, um, but <clears throat> to keep it at a high level, you know, a typical loan used to be around, uh, you know, $130 a month in terms of the monthly payment. Um, and with higher interest rates, that $130 payment has now become something closer to $160 or $170, right? So that immediately kind of strips out. Uh, a large swath of the United States that was saving 10, 15, 20 dollars a month, they've inverted. Now they're not saving, maybe they're break even. Um, we try and diagnose it down to the uh, kilowatt hour rate. And what we've seen is that the break even is really about a 17 cents, right? Maybe it's 18 cents mm-hmm. is kind of if you're paying more than 17 or 18 cents, you're going to be able to see initial savings. But if you're not, yeah, with, with solar, with a loan product. product, that's right. And if you're in a market that doesn't have power above that, you're going to have to figure out a new way to sell, right? And so that's where you have to start talking about, okay, your cost of power is 15 cents, and I'm offering you something that has a cost of power of 16 or 17 cents. But what is your 15 cent power going to look like in the future? You know, back in my uh, early time owning and running a residential sales company, which is nothing (laughs) remotely like today, 
we were using um, the earliest uh, sort of versions of PPAs. And I was partnering with solar power partners back in the day to offer um, PPAs, not to homeowners, but to businesses, um, which evolved into what we now refer to as third-party ownership or TPO. Uh, I feel like I'm seeing a trending, uh, a trend line of increase in TPO. Question I think in most people's minds is, is it here to stay? Is it a momentary blip? And if it's here to stay or, or, or even if it's not, how do I integrate or think about it as a product alongside, you know, the best, best in class, which is customer buys it outright or the previously um, favored product, which is a loan. Yeah, this is uh, going, going back for me because my entire life was TPO for a long time. Um, so mm-hmm. just to offer my opinion, I, I definitely think TPO will be around in some form or fashion for the long term. Um, it, it, you know, has a lot of benefits to it, but it also, uh, may not be the best choice for everybody. So I think there will always be a loan option and a TPO option, but getting back to a point that you made for a moment, what I would say, it tees up any sale, but does lend itself to TPO. You're right that I think consumers think about solar as a gadget, as an appliance, what they often don't think about is the total cost of home ownership and including energy in that landscape, right? And so when you start to reframe that conversation, the, the, like, well, sure, your mortgage is 2000 bucks, but you're also spending $200 a month on electricity. So your total cost of owning your home is now $2,200. And if I can strip out $200 of home ownership, what does that do to the value of your home, right? That's another selling technique that we can layer in. And so when we start to talk about TPO, um, a lot of times what we will do is talk about the fact that your overall cost of ownership of your home has now been hedged or protected against. And then again, we get back to that peace of mind, right? So the things that we always wanted to uh, help a consumer understand is uh, simplicity, peace of mind, uh, and protection uh, from kind of the unknown that's the crux of the TPO sale. Yeah, I, I actually, um, and I love that you tied it to something that it sort of sparked for me when I was doing an evaluation uh, of one of my early car purchases. Instead of evaluating my relative loan prices, I looked at the lifetime cost of ownership of the product. And at the time, it was a clean diesel, a Volkswagen Jetta clean diesel. I'm doing an air, air quotes for anybody watching online because clean diesel turned out not to be so clean, but it did turn out that the lifetime cost of ownership of a diesel vehicle was in fact lower. Now, time changed. Uh, diesel costs are through the roof. I wouldn't want to own that pro- that car uh, uh, for any uh, price now, but um, it just goes to show that like the inputs, the actual cost inputs matter and in how, how, how the overarching thing, like nobody talks about, maintenance. We don't have time to talk about um, the O&M aspect of solar within this con- conversation, but very few homeowner table conversations get into that lifetime total sort of cost of ownership, comparing it with, as you put, the homeowner experience of the overall cost. The, the, the American dream is sold on like buy, own a home, build equity, be able to leverage that equity at some point in your life to have like increased value um, for your investment. And solar as a category categorically does that. <laughs> and we had, had an interview with uh, the lady from Pearl Certification who like helps to validate that, 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 uh, you know, that claim for consumers. And I think that we just don't have uh, the 
we have too few sales teams right now in the marketplace who are leveraging these uh, tried and true techniques from a decade ago in today's market. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you uh, in to help us put to bed some of these big fears um, around the market truly feeling like it had hit uh, a brick wall or certainly hit like uh, a, a quicksand bog as yeah. it were. Yeah, no, and, and that can be fundamentally pretty scary, right? When you've been growing your business and you've been investing in your business for growth, if things slow down, that can start to really put some stresses on your business. We've certainly um, seen that happen. And, and my, my overarching sentiment is uh, this is where we learn and grow and get better at our craft, right? And so if you're, if you're not invested in, in t- spending a day a week on training or an hour a week on training, Right. Then, then now is the time that you have to do that in order to learn some of these new skills and then pass them through to, to you know, your new sales uh, teams. We've we've added a lot of sales talent in this industry over the last four or five years. Um, and now it's about, you know, refining that sales talent to be uh, more effective in, in the current conditions. Thinking about the value of home ownership, thinking about the increased value of your home, thinking about a hedge against future cost of power, those are fundamentally the core of how you sell solar. And I, I think that's that's what we have to index more on. Brian, I would love an, an, an entire symposium, two, three, four hours of training with you and, um, and spend more time just digging into each one of these, but time just doesn't allow it today. Thank you for helping us really dig into the uh, sort of what's new again, which is getting back to the fundamentals and the basics. If folks want to learn more about you or REC or get in, get training uh, directly from your team, how would you recommend they do that? How, could, how do you guys like to be found? First of all, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the easiest way, the best way our marketing team has kind of summarized all of this into our, our regular newsletter. We send it out monthly. Um, and we'll send some details along uh, with the show as to how you can sign up to receive that. Um, and then from there, it's about setting up an appointment and getting a, a, a more in-depth training set up with uh, one of my team members. Love it. We will, of course, as we always do, link to that in the show notes. So you lovely people can follow up, as you always do, with Brian Gilia, the Senior Director of Business Development right here at REC America's brand that many of you would recognize as a leader in uh, the U.S. solar module manufacturing market. Brian, thank you for taking time to be with us. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. Nico, this has been great, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, definitely look forward to the next one. Well, thank you so much for spending this amount of time investing in your own development, whether it's your business or your personal career. I hope that Suncast can continue to be a guide and a resource for you. I'd love to know What is it that you gleaned from today's conversation with Spencer and Brian? What are you going to contribute back to the network around you and to the business that you are helping to grow? We are all in this journey together in what we call the clean energy revolution. Now that you've listened through at least one Suncast episode, I charge you as a solar warrior to be an evangelist of the good news and spread the word through uh, sharing Suncast. My preferred platform, of course, is LinkedIn. So if you would tag me when you share the episode, I would love to give it a little bit of 
love with a like and a comment. Of course, if you share it on Twitter as well, you can find all of our social handles in the description. And if you, my fellow Philomath, are seeking deeper knowledge, you'd like to learn more about today's guests or dig into some of the research that supports the work that we put into putting this episode together, you can find that and more over at the show notes page at mysuncast.com. Click on the episode tab. It is my hope that this episode continues to deepen your understanding, not only of how the solar industry works, but your ability to operate within it and to bring more into our tribe. Please do us a favor and share Suncast with others so that we can reach more folks just like you. You could leave a comment or review very easily by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. And last but not least, remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.